Is there something wrong? Warning. Life support failure on all decks. Abandon ship. Maybe it is time to take command. Bridge to Captain. Join Jan Shaw updating current events as only Jan can. Library computer. Data being received. Produced by CosmicReality.com. Hello and welcome to this Saturday's Cosmic Creating Show. My name is Jan Shaw. I'm known as the Success Alchemist. You can find me at thesuccessalchemist.net, thewebalchemist.net, empoweredmanifestation.com, at Facebook and YouTube, Jan Shaw, the Success Alchemist, and at Twitter, at Coach Jan Shaw. Today is the 9th of April, 2022. And the title of today's show is The Tide is Turning, Globalists Losing, Biden in Trouble. So I'm going to start with a few things from the latest couple of X-22 reports. I've said that I um, watch these videos regularly and, as usual, some very interesting information given out. Um before I go into the details, what I think this is pointing to is more and more evidence that the white hats are in control. And if they weren't in control, we wouldn't be seeing a lot of these things happening. Let me just expand on that. China has told Nancy Pelosi not to visit Taiwan, yet Pompeo visited Taiwan on March the 5th with no comment from China at all. And she's one of the list of people, which I'll be sharing, who have tested positive for COVID. And possibly the she's going to use the COVID excuse for not going. But it begs the question, is she prevented from traveling because the White Hats are in control? Um, and this list of people who've tested for COVID, positive for COVID, since March 2022... We've got Hillary Clinton. We've got Jen Psaki. She didn't go to Europe with Biden. Perhaps she is not allowed to travel either. White House spokeswoman, I'm not quite sure who that is. CIA Director Burns, Kamala Comms Director, Kamala's husband, Nancy Pelosi, Adam Schiff, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, a Attorney General Garland, D.C. Mayor Bowser, DOJ Antitrust Chief, U.S. Commerce Secretary, New Jersey Governor, Israeli Prime Minister, Irish Prime Minister, King of Norway. And we know that the Queen of England tested positive in actually on the 20th of February. So the question is, is this a precursor to introducing more lockdowns before the midterms or are they communications between these people as the messages and tweets are almost identical they're all saying you know i've got covid um i've very few symptoms i'm feeling fine but go and get your vaccination and get boosted um there's also the hypothesis that this is an a code for yeah we're busted and uh you know we've we've done a plea deal or whatever else that might be. Uh, I'm not too sure about that. But it's very odd that, you know, particularly the list of people over here are all Dems. And many of them are all involved in this conspiracy against Trump. Um, Biden says he can't get money for testing. Question is why. He's plenty to send to Ukraine and other countries. And perhaps it would expose the fact that all the positive people are vaxxed. So it would expose the fact that the unvaccinated aren't getting it, but the vaccinated are. Now, before I get into the meat of what I have to share today, I want to also share a video. It's a clip from X-22's report, and it's a prime example of the predictive programming that has been going on for decades. And this is 
a clip from Barney Miller and I will just play it for you. The sound is a little bit off but I had to kind of record the clip uh, from my own computer so we'll see how it goes. From Barney Miller in 1981 predicted programming hidden in plain sight. I, I just wanted to meet them face to face. I, I wanted them to admit what they were doing. Who is they? He was in the office of the Trilateral Commission. Trilateral Commission. Yeah, the Trilateral Commission. <laughs> All right, what is the Trilateral Commission? It's an organization founded in 1973 by David Rockefeller to bring together business and political leaders from the United States, Europe, Japan, so they could work together for uh, better economic and political cooperation between their nations. That's what they'd like us to believe. But you see, what they're really up to is a scheme to plant their own loyal members in positions of power in this country to work to erase national boundaries and create an international community and, in time, bring about a one-world government with David Rockefeller calling the shots. I take it they're pressing charges? Yeah, well, uh, uh, he broke a globe and uh, he's stuff artwork. Well, they're, they're in on it, too. <laughs> okay, Mr. Clay, if you're just telling you our whole way of life as we know it is in jeopardy. I appreciate that. I, 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 have, I have the documented evidence. It's all in there. Show him. Well, he's got uh, magazines here. Conspiracy Review. Suppressed Truth Roundup. The master plan is exposed. Yeah, well, um... You're still not convinced. Hmm? <laughs> would, would you like to hear the names of just a few of the people who have been on the Trilateral Commission? Uh, not particularly. James Earl Carter. Heard of him? Look, Mr. Klein. Henry Kissinger. You heard of him? Walter Mondale. <laughs> Mr. Klein is John Anderson, George Bush. Now, you remember at the at the convention, everybody thought it was going to be Ford, Verbeek. You know what happened? David Rockefeller just picked up the phone, put in a call. Hey, Ronnie, forget Jerry, it's George. Bye. No matter who won in November, they had their man in the White House. Are you through? And interestingly, the text next to this on, on oh sorry this is not x22 this is and we know um this was revealed on barney miller in 1981 predictive programming hidden in plain sight as per usual front running the truth with the conspiracy theory labels obviously to discredit it you could hear the audience laughing about that that script was greenlit on a comedy show they knew they could flaunt it and none would believe it any word on who wrote this episode? I'd be interested to know if they have any links to the CIA. So I don't know um, who wrote that text. It's not showing up, and I don't think, and we know, uh, LT actually mentioned that. But very interesting that this should be back in 81, and we're seeing all of this now um, being attempted to be rolled out, if that makes sense. So in terms of the title, The Tide is Turning, um, there's many things that are actually demonstrating this. Uh, I'm going to be covering the latest from Durham. I'm also going to be covering the latest about Hunter's laptop and some interesting developments in the courts relating to a couple of the um, lawsuits that have been completed this week. So I'm going to start with the Durham situation. And this is a report from Epoch Times. Durham asked court to compel production from Clinton campaign, DNC. And this was uh, published April 7th. Special counsel John Durham's team on April 6th asked a federal judge to force Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign and two other parties to hand over documents they claim are protected by attorney-client privilege. The campaign, the Democratic National Committee, DNC, and research and intelligence firm Fusion GPS appear to be withholding documents that aren't actually protected by the privilege. Durham's team said in the filing entered in the case against ex-Clinton lawyer Michael Sussman. 
of the withheld materials almost all appear to lack any connection to actual or expected litigation or the provision of legal advice, prosecutors told U.S. District Judge Christopher Cooper, an Obama appointee who is overseeing the case. In fact, of the 1,455 documents being withheld by Fusion GPS, only 18 emails and attachments are, are said to involve an attorney. The Clinton campaign, the DNC and Fusion didn't respond to, to requests for comment. The documents in question are being sought for the upcoming trial of Sussman, who was charged with lying to the FBI for going to a bureau lawyer in 2016 and falsely stating he didn't hand over unsubstantiated claims about then-candidate Donald Trump on behalf of a client. The claims were compiled with funding from the campaign and the DNC by former British spy Christopher Steele and Fusion GPS, which was founded by former reporters. Sussman and his lawyers have been pressing the judge to dismiss the case prior to trial, arguing that the lie about not bringing the information on behalf of a client wasn't material to the information itself. Attorney-client privilege protects many communications between a client and their lawyer, Disclosure to third parties usually undercuts privilege claims. In the new filing, Durham's team pointed out that Fusion GPS co-founders, Glenn Simpson and Peter Fritsch, penned a book published in 2019, which means even if a valid privilege did once exist, it might since have been waived. Prosecutors also noted that Fusion GPS operatives regularly communicated with reporters about their work, resulting in several stories before the 2020 election and a spate of others after voters hit the polls. Further, the Clinton campaign, HFA, Hillary for America, and the DNC have claimed privilege over communications sent between Rodney Joffe, whom Sussman was also representing at the time, and a fusion operative, despite the fact that no one from either the DNC or HFA is copied on certain of these communications, prosecutors said. The government subpoenaed information from the parties in 2021. Fusion GPS was paid by the Democratic entities through Perkins Coy, a law firm. The agreement was introduced as an exhibit in the case. Many, if not most, of the actions taken by Fusion GPS employees do not appear to have been a necessary part of or even related to Perkins Coy's legal advice to the campaign and the DNC, Durham's team said. <clears throat> Prosecutors want to examine the communications in a private, in-camera setting in order to resolve these issues and ensure that only le legitimately privileged and or attorney work product-protected communications and testimony be withheld from the otherwise admissible evidence and testimony that is presented to the jury at trial. The trial is currently set to start on May 16th. And interestingly, one of my favourite ladies, Lara Logan, I've mentioned her in recent um, shows, she put out, uh, I'm not sure if it's a tweet, no, it's on Truth Social actually, because it's saying retruths. Durham, 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 nothing is more important than this right now. If you aren't paying attention, start now. There is nothing they want less than for this nation to see the truth and hold them accountable. That should tell you everything. This is the moment every digital soldier has been waiting for. Don't waste one second. Make it count. Now, perhaps another indication that the white hats are in control relates to Elon Musk. And I reported on Wednesday about how Elon Musk had purchased 9.2% of Twitter and was invited onto the board. Now, I saw a tweet this morning saying that the CEO of Twitter had stepped down. Um, I haven't seen any validation of that, so I don't know if it's true or not. But I've had my doubts personally about Elon. I couldn't figure out, is he white hat? Is he black hat? Because, you know, he is another listed on the WEF uh, Young Leaders uh, group. And also he's been pushing for... Uh, microchips 
in people supposedly for health reasons only but of course that's the way the vaccine was pushed but then um i came across this post on telegram by q the storm rider and it says back channels elon musk was an advisor to trump administration this was only seemingly the military asked musk to leave in 2016 the reasons are vast and connect to the current moment buying larger shareholder in Twitter. The deep state have long known must be a placed white hat. He never gets invited to major events that the deep state host, constantly attacked by the Democratic Party leaders. In DC, the DNC stays clear of Musk. I had stated before that Musk was going to make a major move inside social media and Joe Rogan was protected by Musk, and they have other plans for the future. You just saw Elon Musk's chess move. If you don't know, Musk is a huge proponent of freedom of speech, and there is the reason Jack Dorsey was removed. The White Hats move to separate Musk from the Trump administration as advisor was a placed move for future events, from Starlink to gaining control of Twitter for a future move, D-Class. Like I said months ago, Musk was coming for social media and looking to buy out a major news organisation around the world like CNN or a counterpart next to. That Some of this grammar is not first class, I have to say. There are many reasons Trump, White Hat's military protect Musk. We have to protect our genius. Musk is one of our very smart people and we want to cherish those people, Trump stated. Musk had no need for the $600 million he made in the few days in Twitter. If he wanted money, he could just start another company and have made billions instantly. But no, Musk has other plans. And yes, he's backed by military intel. Goodbye, Jack. Hello, E-E-M, Elon Musk panic in social media networks so if that's true it's interesting this incursion of the social media platforms by the white hats which is uh, extraordinary actually although you know if you believe in the plan and the white hats then it should come as no surprise now here's another reason why i think that the white hats are in control and some of it you just have to chuckle at this is from Gateway Pundit, and that it was published April 6th. Bombshell. Biden FEC nominee admits her name is on legal document attesting voting machines used in Georgia illegally switch votes from one candidate to another. 100% fed up reports. For a year and a half, MyPillow CEO Mike Lindell has been called a liar, Big box stores like Kroger, Bed Bath & Beyond, Coles, Wayfair and others have dropped his products from their stores over his claims that the voting machines in the 2020 election switched the votes, causing Joe Biden to win the election illegally. Michigan constitutional attorney Matt DiPerno, who hasn't given up on his legal battle in Antrim County, Michigan, to prove voting machines have the ability to switch votes, has been demonised by Democrats, including the current Attorney General, Dana Nessel, who Matt DiPerno hopes to run against in the November 2022 election if he wins the nomination of the Michigan Republican delegates. Yet, incredibly, today, while testifying in front of the Senate Rules and Administration Committee, FEC nominee Dara Lindenbaum, an election lawyer and former general counsel to Stacey Abrams' campaign, admitted to Senator Ted Cruz that she put her name on a legal document swearing that voting machines illegally changed votes from one candidate to another. Joe Biden chose the former general counsel to Stacey Abrams' campaign to replace retiring Democratic Commissioner Stephen Walther on the regulatory agency that enforces U.S. campaign finance law. Senator Ted Cruz to Biden nominee to the FEC, as an officer of the court, you were willing to put your name on a legal pleading alleging that the machines used in Georgia in 2018 were switching votes illegally from one candidate to another. Is that correct? Dara Lindenbaum, yes.
The Washington Free Beacon reports President Joe Biden's pick to serve on the Federal Election Commission is representing Stacey Abrams' non-profit and Raphael Warnock's church in a lawsuit that challenged the validity of Georgia's 2018 election due in part to the state's use of unreliable electronic voting machines. In November 2018, election lawyer Dara Lindenbaum signed on to a federal legal complaint on behalf of Abrams' fair fight action. The complaint challenged the constitutionality of Georgia's 2018 election, which saw Abrams lose to Republican Governor Brian Kemp in a race she never conceded. Warnock's Ebenezer Baptist Church joined the suit in early 2019, just months before the Democrat entered Georgia's 2020 Senate race. According to the complaint, the state of Georgia grossly mismanaged the election by depriving Georgia citizens, and particularly citizens of colour, of their fundamental right to vote. As a result, the complaint said, Georgia's election violated the first 14th and 15th Amendments to the United States Constitution. The complaint also lamented the use of insecure and unreliable electronic voting machines that lack a paper trail and thus cannot be audited. Those machines even switched votes from Abrams to Kemp, according to the complaint. While the lawsuit remains active, Fair Fight and other plaintiffs amended the complaint in December 2020 to remove many of its assertions detailing problematic voting machines. The move came after former President Donald Trump said voting machine irregularities led to his defeat against Biden. We are living in an alternate world, folks, when a lawyer working for a top Democrat operative admits that she swore under oath that the voting machines in Georgia switch votes from one candidate to another. And this is the first you're hearing about it. While the media and their allies in the Democrat Party have demonised Mike Lindell and Matt DiPerno for almost two years for saying the same thing, there is a serious problem with the truth in our nation. But just think about it. You know, what they're actually legitimising are Trump's claims that the election was rigged. I mean, if that isn't shooting yourself in the foot big time, I don't know what is, which just underlies the my belief that the White Hats are definitely in control and these things are coming out deliberately because of their plan to drip, drip, drip all this information. Now, what's interesting also is the fact that um, Governor Kemp and Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan have just blocked an election integrity bill, SB 89, So the question is, you know, if there's no issue with election integrity, why should they block that bill? It kind of is another nail in the coffin for, um, you know, Kemp and so on claiming that it was a legitimate election. So there's a couple of other interesting things going on that also are really putting the nail in the coffin of the deep state and the Democrats. And both of these are really... uh, exposing what we've all known all along about the FBI's involvement in things that the Republicans, the Trump supporters, have been accused of. The first one, it comes from Epoch Times. Judge acquits January 6th defendant on all charges. This is April 7th. Matthew Martin said police officers let him into the US Capitol. A federal contractor was acquitted by a judge on April 6 of four charges in relation to entering the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. Prosecutors failed to prove that Matthew Martin, who worked at the Los Alamos National Laboratory in New Mexico, committed crimes when entering the Capitol for about 10 minutes, U.S. District Judge Trevor McFadden ruled. McFadden, a Trump nominee, said it was reasonable for Martin to believe that outnumbered police officers allowed him and others to enter the Capitol through the rotunda doors on January 6th. The judge also said Martin's actions were about as minimal and non-serious as anyone who was at the Capitol that day. According to court filings, Martin attended a rally held by former President Donald Trump on January 6th before returning to his hotel, 
where he heard that the Capitol had been breached. Martin left the building and ventured onto the Capitol grounds before eventually entering the Capitol. While I was at the top, they started letting people into the building and I, so I joined the... They were holding the doors open, the guards were. And I walked in and saw the rotunda Martin told an FBI agent during an interview. Martin, whose bench trial started April 5th, testified that a police officer waved him into the building after the riot erupted. A prosecutor dismissed that testimony as nonsense, although the government acknowledged in a filing that police officers stood on either side of the doorway as the defendant entered the building. Video shows two police officers standing near the rotunda doors and allowing people to enter as Martin approached. McFadden said one of the officers appeared to lean back before Martin placed a hand on the officer's shoulder as a possible sign of gratitude. McFadden described Martin's testimony as largely credible. The judge said it wasn't unreasonable for him to believe that officers allowed him to enter the capital, even though alarms were blaring and broken glass was strewn about the floor. McFadden also said there was no evidence that Martin intended to disrupt Congress from certifying President Joe Biden's electoral victory and described the defendant as a silent observer of the actions of others. Martin was acquitted of four misdemeanor charges, entering and remaining in a restricted building, disorderly and disruptive conduct in a restricted building, violent entry and disorderly conduct in a capital building, and parading, demonstrating or picketing in a capital building. Prosecutors had asserted in a pre-trial brief that the evidence will prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Martin committed each offence charged. I think the definitive factor was that Matt Martin did not break the law, lawyer Dan Cron, representing Martin, told reporters after the verdict. We had the benefit of a lot of video evidence and the judge had a chance to see it. I am very thankful for the judge's verdict and I'm hoping to get my life back together and my job back, Martin said. More than 775 defendants have been arrested in connection with the breach. Approximately one-third have entered guilty pleas and about half of the approximately 110 sentence have received jail time. Martin, who chose a bench trial versus a jury trial, is the first January 6th defendant to be acquitted on all charges. In another bench trial, McFadden acquitted Cowboys for Trump founder Coy Griffin on a charge of disorderly conduct but convicted Griffin of illegally entering restricted grounds. The only jury trial to wrap up so far resulted in jurors convicting Guy Wesley Reffitt on five counts, including civil disorder. So interesting because we've had um, claims that it was the Capitol Police that actually opened the doors to the Capitol because they are on very, very powerful magnets and it's impossible to open them from the outside. So there's more and more evidence stacking up that this was a setup, which I think we've always known. And, um, you know, Pelosi and the rest of the Democrats have a lot to answer for. And this this uh, committee, the Unselect Committee, so-called investigating um, the January 6th events, Uh, is obviously so biased and their ultimate aim is to prove that Trump started an insurrection to prevent him from running for office again. It's going to fail because there's the next story I'm going to tell you really underlies how the FBI can work against um, the Republicans, the Trump supporters, you know, the patriots, and we need to see those 14 hours of video that Pelosi is withholding, saying that it's she's immune or the, you know, the office is immune from sharing those because of, I think, some security um, excuse, no other word for it. So this next report is from American Greatness and it's two acquitted in Whitmer case, FBI misconduct central. In a huge defeat for the US Department of Justice, a jury today acquitted two men accused of conspiring to kidnap 
Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer in the fall of 2020. Uh, this is April 8th it was published. In a huge defeat for the US Department of Justice, a jury today acquitted two men accused of conspiring to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer in the fall of 2020 and deadlocked on a verdict for two other defendants. The verdicts were announced at the Gerald R. Ford Federal Building in Grand Rapids after more than four days of deliberations. Jurors heard 13 days of testimony in a case the government considered one of its biggest domestic terrorism investigations ever. Daniel Harris and Brandon Caserta of Michigan were found not guilty of conspiring to unlawfully seize, confine, kidnap, abduct and carry away and hold for ransom and reward or otherwise the governor of the state of Michigan. Jurors could not reach a unanimous decision for Adam Fox, the alleged ringleader, and Barry Croft Jr., resulting in a mistrial. Harris was also found not guilty on charges of conspiring to use a weapon of mass destruction for allegedly attempting to build an explosive device to use in the abduction scheme and other firearms charges. Jurors this morning notified Chief U.S. District Court Judge Robert Jonker that they had reached a verdict on several charges but were deadlocked on others. Jonker urged the jury of six men and six women to continue deliberating under a soft Allen charge, which instructs jurors to keep pushing for a unanimous verdict, but they later notified Jonker the outcome was the same. Defence attorneys had argued successfully, it would appear, that their clients were entrapped by the FBI. At least a dozen FBI confidential human sources and undercover agents working out of numerous FBI field offices were deeply embedded in the plot. Jonker ruled before the trial began on March 8th that Defence Counsel could not raise the entrapment issue until the government rested its case, but that plan was quickly scuttled when it became obvious the four defence attorneys were unable effectively to represent their clients without demonstrating the FBI's extensive involvement. To prove entrapment, the defence had to convince the jury that the government induced the criminal behaviour and the defendants lacked predisposition to carry out the kidnapping conspiracy on their own. Against the objections of prosecutors, Jonker notified the jury last Friday they could consider entrapment. Jonker advised jurors to ask themselves whether the agent or informant persuaded the defendant, who is not already willing to commit a crime, to do something illegal. A roster of FBI agents and experts took the stand during the three-week trial, which was temporarily delayed due to one participant's COVID diagnosis. Dan Chappell, the lead informant and government star witness known as Big Dan, explained how he brought the makeshift group of alleged militia members together after he was hired by the FBI in March 2020. Chappell created encrypted chat groups and organised excursions for field training and surveillance of Whitmer's cottage. He, along with other FBI informants, posed as leaders of two militia groups, at least one of which was created by the FBI. For his work over a six-month period, Chappell, a truck driver for a U.S. Postal Service subcontractor, was compensated at least $60,000 by the FBI in cash and gifts, such as a new laptop, tires and a smartwatch. Prosecutors mostly relied on conversations secretly recorded by FBI assets as evidence of wrongdoing. Two men charged in the same indictment had pleaded guilty and testified for the government in exchange for lighter prison sentences. Jurors heard defendants make inflammatory and on some occasions violent comments about the Democratic governor who is up for re-election this year. Fox lived at the time in the dilapidated cellar of a Grand Rapids vacuum repair shop with no running water or toilet. Chapel texted Fox at least a thousand times between June and early October, cultivating a close relationship with the otherwise friendless and sparsely employed outcast. On at least five occasions, Chapel offered Fox a $5,000 credit card, which Fox repeatedly refused. 
In his closing remarks last Friday, Assistant U.S. Attorney Niels Kessler dismissed defence arguments that the evidence merely amounted to crazy talk by disgruntled misfits high on marijuana. In America, there's a lot of things you can do. You can criticise the government publicly, absolutely, Kessler told jurors. If you don't like elected leaders, you can vote them out at the ballot box. What you can't do is kidnap them, kill them or blow them up. It wasn't just talk. But defence attorneys angrily condemned the FBI sting operation. When I look at what happened in this case, I am ashamed of the behaviour of the leading law enforcement agency in the United States, Joshua Blanchard, Croft's public defender, said during his closing argument. Christopher Gibbons, Fox's public defender, called the government's conduct unacceptable in America. That's not how it works. They don't make terrorists so we can arrest them. The case produced damaging headlines for Donald Trump in October 2020, just as millions of Americans were already voting for president, including in the crucial swing state of Michigan. During a dramatic speech on October 8, 2020, Whitmer blamed Trump for stoking distrust, fomenting anger and giving comfort to those who spread fear and hatred and for refusing to condemn hate groups like these two Michigan militia groups. Joe Biden accused Trump of sending dog whistles to white supremacist militias, later telling reporters it was despicable and beneath the office of the presidency that Trump allegedly encouraged the would-be kidnappers. Biden also thanked the FBI for a job well done, but the agency has been mired in scandal relating to the case ever since. Richard Trask, the special agent in charge at the Detroit FBI field office, was fired last summer after he was arrested for assaulting his wife in a drunken rage following a swingers party. Reporters also found anti-Trump sentiment on Trask's Facebook page. Two other FBI agents who handled Chapel were removed from the government's witness list amid accusations of unethical conduct. Stephen Robeson, a long-time FBI informant and convicted felon, also was fired for committing at least two other crimes while working on the Whitmer investigation. Known to the defendants as Steve, Robeson coordinated numerous events, including a militia conference in Dublin, Ohio in June 2020 and training exercises in his home state of Wisconsin. After the government accused him of acting as a double agent and Robeson threatened to plead the fifth, Judge Jonker denied defence counsel's motion to compel his testimony. Harris and Caserta, who have been incarcerated since their arrest in October 2020, were released from custody. Fox and Croft will remain in prison as the government decides its next move. So another attempt to smear Trump and Trump's supporters through a fabricated crime in which they were the people concerned were entrapped i'm just now waiting for all of this evidence to come out that the fbi indeed entrapped the january 6 protesters um, by being the ones that were rioting and doing the damage uh, while the trump supporters were completely peaceful in their um, behavior. Now, before I move on to the Biden situation, you know, the Hunter laptop, etc., etc., um, the part of the title I said where the globalists are losing is related to um, a couple of things. The election in Hungary, which is recently completed, and also the upcoming election in France. So beginning with Hungary, um, apparently the globalists are up in arms about who won in a landslide victory. Soros is incandescent. I saw a report about that. I haven't got that particular one. This report is from Breitbart and this was published on the 5th of April. Saw losers. EU set to sanction Hungary after Orban election landslide. The European Union looks set to launch sanctions against Hungary after Viktor Orban achieved a landslide victory in the country's recent general election. 
it appears that the European Union, which of course is a globalist organisation, is not happy with the result of Hungary's recent general election, with many in Brussels seemingly hoping the country's united opposition would manage to unseat long-running Conservative Prime Minister Viktor Orban. However, after Orban's recent landslide victory, the EU looks set to take a different approach to tackling the populist administration. According to a report by Euronews, the European Commission has triggered the so-called conditionality mechanism over what are alleged to be Hungarian breaches of EU law. The move, which had only recently been ruled legal by a European court, opens up the Eastern European country to economic sanctions, allowing the EU to freeze funding sent to the Eastern European country which reportedly amounts currently to around €5 billion Euros per annum. While the exact reasons for the triggering of the mechanism were not given, the Commission has previously repeatedly targeted Hungary over alleged corruption regarding its judiciary, with many in Europe also taking issue with the conservative cultural dominance in its national media. I'm going to jump to another Breitbart article. This was actually um, back on the 4th, which was when the uh, victory was declared. Four more years, Hungary's Orban declares victory over international left Soros Empire mainstream media. Um, Hungary's, Hungary's National Conservative Prime Minister Viktor Orban has won a fourth consecutive term of office, matching Germany's Angela Merkel, despite the establishment left far left and even the far right teaming up to oust him at the ballot box. In a victory speech to supporters of his Fidesz KDNP party on Sunday, Prime Minister Orban hailed their triumph over the overwhelming force of the left at home, the international left all around, the Brussels bureaucrats, the George Soros empire with all its money, the international mainstream media and in the end even the Ukrainian president as proof that Christian democratic politics, conservative civic politics and patriotic politics are not the past but the future. We have won a great victory, a victory so great that you can see it from the moon, certainly from Brussels, the Hungarian quipped, in reference to the near-uniform hostility to his government's anti-mass migration, socially conservative programme among the European Union establishment. The international media seems to agree with the Europe editor for the British Broadcasting Corporation, BBC, Katja Adler, noting in her coverage of the election result that you could almost hear the collective thud of EU hearts sinking last night. Orban's reference to the Ukrainian president as a member of the coalition against him, which included even the Jobbik party, denounced as a neo-Nazi party by the president of the European Jewish Congress as recently as 2015, and once a, great, a source of great concern for anti-Orban news outlets, is an allusion to the fact that Vladimir Zelensky intervened more or less directly in the election to accuse the Hungarian leader of openly supporting Mr Putin. References to Orban being a long-time ally of Russian President Vladimir Putin and famed for his warm relations with Vladimir Putin abound in mainstream media coverage of the election results, even by notionally neutral outlets like the Associated Press and BBC, although they aren't neutral, we know that. Although the Hungarian leader has always insisted that his dealings with the Kremlin have strictly practical bases, such as keeping gas prices down and the maintenance and expansion of nuclear energy production. Uniquely among European Union member states bordering Ukraine, Orbán's Hungary has refused to allow weapons shipments to cross into the embattled country through its territory, although other forms of aid are permitted. So I'm not going to read the rest because I have some more things to fit in before the end of the show. But it's clear that, you know, we are getting people standing, countries standing up to the globalist agenda. And it makes it more and more obvious every day that Zelensky is a globalist puppet. And I want to move on to the French election because this is has a similar theme to it. This is an article by The Good Citizen, and I'm not going to cover all of it because there's quite a bit of narrative ahead of the detail on the election. 
The title is The Smell of Cheese, a Brass Tacks French Election Primer for the Busy Bee, and this was April the 8th. The question becomes, have the French people finally had it with globalist interlopers who seek to further destroy France from within, along with any pretenses of those hallowed national mottos of liberty, equality and fraternity? The stench of tyranny. For five years, Emmanuel Macron has performed the duties of President of the Fifth Republic of France as one would expect of a hand-picked handmaiden from the WEF Young Global Leaders pigpen of technocrat meddler Klaus Schwab. Macron is a former Rothschild banker who did not marry his nan, but did marry his grade school teacher, who looks like his nan, even after endless Botox and cosmetic surgeries to make her to try to make her look more like his auntie. France as a republic is on its fifth iteration. If at first you do not succeed in tempering the tempers of tempers of the temperamental, try, 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 try again. When will the US take out the deep state MIC oligarch trash and start its second? If it's any consolation to those republics still on their first try, the past few decades reveal France's fifth attempt to be more of a failure than the previous four. Apart from Italy, Austria, Australia, Canada and New Zealand, no country on earth embraced Covid tyranny the past year more than France. The Parliament rushed through a law last July that mandated vaccine passports in the form of pre-pandemic planned QR code digital identity schemes tied to the EU for future aims for basic participation in society. Police began enforcing this tyranny last summer on the terraces of cafes and brasseries across the country. It was a repulsive and sickening sight that led to 32 straight weekends of anti-mandate protests across the country that continue today. At one point in the month of August alone, almost a quarter of the population had taken to the French streets as only the French do best, including millions who were fully vaccinated. The Western media complex mostly ignored it, dutifully playing its part to herd as many arms toward toxic needles and digital passports as possible. I don't have time to read the whole of this, but it then goes on to talk about uh, Macron and how he very much like Trudeau, and the two seem to be very good pals, have been imposing all this tyranny um, on the citizens of France. And also, they've been very much in line with this strategy to open the borders to all these Muslim immigrants. And we've seen over the last few years horrendous um, photos of the streets of Paris with all these tents occupied by these Muslim immigrants. Now, the point I want to get to here is regarding the candidates. And I'm going to jump straight into the, the narrative about candidate Marine Le Pen. Um, she presently has the neoliberal globalist cabal shitting themselves. After the results in Hungary and Serbia last weekend, this upcoming French election is a monumental opportunity for voters of a major European power to send a massive middle finger to this anti-democratic authoritarian group that seeks to engineer more tyranny and chaos. She may not stop them, but she could be a very, very large thorn in their side. The EU punished Hungary this week for voting for the wrong candidate. Again, they're threatening to withhold billions of euros to punish Hungarians who want nothing to do with Brussels, LGBTQity leftist grooming or pro-war agenda. They detest democracy in Brussels. Can they even attempt that with France and Le Pen if she wins? France has way too much power in the bloc and Le Pen represents an existential crisis for the Union, she could very well call for a Frexit referendum and put the whole bloc on the brink. If she even threatened to hold a referendum, she could shut Brussels up instantly. The first round Sunday should be a repeat result of 2017, with Macron and Le Pen moving on to the runoff in two weeks. Look for the media to have a consistent smear campaign prepared for her with relentless hit pieces trying to move the French electorate 
towards Schwab's butt boy. The polling in the recent Hungarian election was so far off the mark, they have a tendency to skew in favour of the establishment favourite. In Hungary, that establishment mess was a six-party orgy of Soros-funded rats attempting an electoral coup of Orbán. They didn't even come close. If the skewed polling is true in France, then the latest poll is excellent news for Marine Le Pen, and if she can hold it with solid debate performances, she will be the first Madam President of France's Fifth Republic. And it shows the Atlas Politico runoff second round poll, Le Pen 50.5%, Macron 49.5%. So uh, this poll shows Marine Le Pen ahead of French President Macron. Now, at the bottom of this article, there is an excellent interview of Marine Le Pen from 2017. Um, and she's talking about her views about the global and EU agenda. And it really puts her in the camp with Trump against the globalists. And that is really encouraging. So let's hope that she wins the French election and kicks Macron into touch. And so it's become patently obvious that there's more and more movements towards the complete destruction of the globalist agenda because more and more people are waking up and seeing the consequences of this great reset. I mean, they're seeing it in the US, they've seen it in France, in Canada, in Australia, in New Zealand, you name it, they can't hide it any longer. And the people won't stand for it. So I want to finish with the um, information about Joe Biden and the Hunter Biden laptop. And this is why I included in the title, Biden is in trouble. Because, as we know, he's been in denial of any involvement or even knowledge of Hunter Biden's business affairs. So here's an article from New York Post, and it came out. To, let me see, April 6th. Here's a dozen times Joe Biden played a role in Sun Hunter's business dealings. President Biden and the White House have repeatedly denied that he and Hunter Biden ever discussed the first Sun's controversial overseas business dealings. Yet there are at least a dozen times when Joe Biden had to know what his son was doing. Number one, Joe recommends. The latest example emerged Wednesday when it was revealed that Hunter Biden got his dad to write a recommendation letter to Brown University for the son of a powerful business Chinese business associate, Jonathan Lee. I covered this on Wednesday's show. Uh, the other kid, too, number two. Hunter Biden also arranged for his dad to write a letter to Georgetown University, Hunter's alma mater, on behalf of Lee's daughter, but neither child got into the elite institutions, the Post understands. During Wednesday's White House briefing, Press Secretary Jen Psaki said, I have no confirmation of any recommendation letter the President wrote, when he was a private citizen, by the way, and not serving in public office. Three, Joe's hopes. Hunter Biden acknowledged in a 2019 New Yorker magazine article that he and his dad once discussed Hunter's job on the board of the Ukrainian energy company Burisma Holdings, which paid him as much as $83,333 a month when Joe Biden was vice president under President Bar Barack Obama. Dad said, I hope you know what you're doing. And I said, I do, he recalled. Four, Air Force Two trip. In December 2013, Hunter and his daughter Finnegan Biden travelled to China on Air Force Two with then-Vice President Joe Biden during an official six-day trip to Asia. Joe Biden met with Chinese President Xi Jinping and other officials and was also introduced to Lee by his son in the lobby of the hotel where the American delegation was staying. Afterwards, Hunter Biden sat with Lee for what both sides claimed was a social meeting, with Hunter Biden telling the New Yorker, how do I go to Beijing halfway around the world and not see them for a cup of coffee? Number five, half his salary. In a 2019 text message to his daughter Naomi, Hunter Biden bitterly wrote, I hope you all can do what I did 
and pay for everything for this entire family for 30 years, he added. It's really hard, but don't worry, unlike Pop, Joe, I won't make you give me half your salary. Meanwhile, White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain was revealed this week to have hit up Hunter Biden for help raising $20,000 for the foundation that maintains the vice president's official residence. Number six, meet the partners. As vice president, Joe Biden met with Hunter Biden business partner Devin Archer in April 2014, around the same time that Archer joined the Burisma board and shortly before Hunter Biden did so, according to Senator Ron Johnson. A, a photo that surfaced more than five years later reportedly shows Joe Biden, Hunter Biden and Archer posing with golf clubs on a course in the Hamptons in August 2014. In February, Archer was sentenced to one year and one day in prison in an unrelated bond fraud scheme that targeted the impoverished Oglala Sioux tribe of American Indians. Seven, meet the Ukrainians. Vadim Pazarsky, a Burisma exec and advisor to its board, sent Hunter Biden an April 17, 2015 email that said, Dear Hunter, thank you for inviting me to DC and giving an opportunity to meet your father and spend some time together. It's really an honour and pleasure. Eight, meet the Kazakhs. One day earlier, Joe Biden attended a dinner at Washington, D.C.'s Cafe Milano with some of his son's business associates from Ukraine, Russia and Kazakhstan. An unverified photo apparently shows the Bidens posing between two of the guests who attended that night, Kazakhstani banking oligarch Keynes Kenjus Rakishev and Karim Masimov, a former prime minister of Kazakhstan. In January, Mazamov was arrested in a plot to overthrow the former Soviet Republic's government following his ouster as head of its counterintelligence and anti-terrorism agency. Number nine, meet Bobolinsky. Former Hunter Biden business partner Tony Bobolinsky revealed in October 2020 that he spoke with Joe Biden in May 2017 after being introduced by Hunter, who reportedly described Bobolinsky as the one who's helping us with the business we're doing with the Chinese. According to Bobolinsky, who has identified Joe Biden as the big guy with a 10% share in a planned deal with CEFC China Energy, the former vice president told him, keep an eye on my son and brother and look out for my family. Bobolinsky also said he later asked Joe's brother James Biden about the possibility that Joe would run for president in 2020. He looks at me and kind of chuckles and says plausible deniability, Bobolinsky said. Number 10, getting an office. Emails show that in September 2017, Hunter Biden asked for a new sign and additional keys to an office he was renting in Washington, D.C.'s. House of Sweden office building, which is home to the Swedish embassy. The sign was to say the Biden Foundation and Hudson West CEFC-US and the keys were for his father's stepmother, Jill Biden, and a Chinese executive named Gong Wendong. Oh, and Uncle James Biden as well. Number 11, meet the Mexicans. In 2015, then-Vice President Joe Biden hosted a group of his son's Mexican business associates at the vice president's official residence and posed for a photo with Hunter Biden and a group of possible business partners, including Mexican billionaires Carlos Slim and Miguel Alaman Velasco. 12. Quid but no quo. In 2016, emails indicate that Hunter Biden messaged Velasco's son from Air Force Two which was en route to Mexico for an official visit. Hunter complained to the younger Valesco that he hadn't received reciprocal business favours after I have brought every single person you have ever asked me to bring to the effing White House and the Vice President's House and the inauguration. So all of Joe Biden's denials that he has had any uh, knowledge or involvement in Hunter Biden's business just hit the dust, basically, uh, proved to be lies, as usual. And it seems that 
all this exposure of him is part of the agenda to get rid of him. I mean, look at what happened with Obama this week. I mean, he was central stage and Biden was literally pushed into the shadows and not supported by any of the White House staff. So be interesting to see what happens in the next week or month or whatever. So interesting times. Anyway, I'm feeling very optimistic that the White Hats are definitely in control. As I've said, we are watching the theatre of the absurd. Some of these things that are happening, they have got to be controlled by the White Hats to just expose this uh, administration and the rest of the globalists to really wake people up. So I've run out of time. That's all I have time for this week. I hope you've enjoyed this show and you'll join me for Wednesday's Cosmic Creating Show. If you can't join live, you can listen to the recordings on the in the archives on CosmicReality.com and also on the podcast channel. So I'd like to thank Nancy for producing and also uh, Derek Condit of MysticalWares.com for sponsoring Cosmic Reality Radio and making all this possible. So bye for now, uh, stay safe and be well. You have been listening to Cosmic Creating with Jan Shaw, updating current reality, a production of CosmicReality.com. 